Arts, Lifestyle, SNS Online. Hello and welcome to SNS Online. Now, I'm not entirely sure where we start with today's special guest. So many creative and intellectual boxes ticked off that you'll be forgiven for thinking she'll soon be revving up to rewrite the laws of quantum mechanics. Hey, perhaps she has, dear readers. As well as being currently employed as Knowledge Exchange Fellow at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, my fabulous guest, who is currently draped decoratively on the SNS chaise long, is also a professional actor, a member of the Magic Circle, a publisher of a number of acclaimed works on suffrage theatre, a public speaker, and occasional Radio 3 presenter. I know. And on top of all that, her incredibly successful cabaret artiste alter ego, Ada Camp, who has been described as a unique blend of comedy, magic, regret and shouting. (laughs) Awards have been arriving thick and fast for both her onstage persona and her research work. Sandy Toxvig has described her as a genius. Oh, and annoyingly, she's also, like, really nice. Ladies and gentlemen, trans folk, and all they thems, we are extremely proud to introduce the one, the only, the effervescent, I never knew she wasn't, Dr. Naomi Paxton. but also introduction thank you it's sort of true though isn't it i mean my you know you you really have your uh, um your fingers in lots of different pies but you seem to sort of excel in all of them oh bless you thank you yes it wasn't deliberate i think when it's all bunched up together it sounds m- more impressive when it's all spread out like it normally is it <laughs> sort of seems a bit more hustly and chaotic but i, I like the bunched up version thank you very much <laughs> Excellent. Just to say, we don't get many doctors on the show. In fact, we have another show called Corona Chronicles where we have loads of doctors on. But for SNS, I think we've had a dame, a lord, a fair few queens, it's got to be said. But I believe <laughs> this actually might be a first. So congratulations. <gasps> Thank you very much. It's an honour. Um, just now to start with, lockdown, Corona, let's get it out of the way. Um, obviously, you have somewhat stifled creative souls like yourself. How tough has your year been? Well, I mean, I do sort of tend to play Pollyanna generally. I think uh-huh. looking around at how tough the year could have been or, you know, how other people's has been, I actually feel really, really glad it's been. I mean, yes, it's been tricky, but it's been fine and uh, sort of managed and elderly relatives have survived and people have been sensible and, you know, all that kind of stuff. We moved house um, during lockdown, which was a mission, but actually was quite a good thing because distraction in terms of DIY and painting and all that sort of stuff made it all feel a little less sort of stuck at home-ish than it could have done before. But yes, I'm. Yeah, it's been tricky, but I feel very glad that it hasn't been trickier. Is yes. my response to that? <laughs> okay, let's roll back those years uh, mm. to your early days. What were your hopes and dreams when you were very young, and do they tally with a woman that you've become? my younger self would be both thrilled and horrified at what i do now i think um when i was very young i wanted to be a farrier okay what's Um, that then like a blacksmith like shoeing horses okay i I don't know why um but i'm i'm viciously allergic to all animals especially horses that was never going to happen uh so my my next ambition was to be a performer 
was to be to be an actor and I wanted to do that from when I was about seven um and and that was my that was my focus and I didn't really want to do anything else apart from that so yes the theatre was my I caught the bug quite early so in terms of your early days with the acting when uh, you started out, uh, what sort of roles did you do? I mean, uh, uh, have I seen you in anything? <laughs> oh, um, I was theatre and radio, actually, is what I did. Okay. Um, so uh, I was in the West End with Shadowlands, um, the play about C.S. Lewis. Yes, of course. In 2007-8, which is kind of when I found out about suffrage theatre, um, I mostly I had a, a look that was quite quirky um, and... I had my hair very sh- had my hair cut very short and got work, and then when I went to drama school, I grew my hair long and then didn't get any work, and then cut it off, off again and got work. Um, so, <laughs> so it was something about having a, a quirky look. So I I did odd odd things actually. So I was on tour for two years with the the UK tour of the Vagina Monologues, which was really interesting. Fantastic, yeah. Understudying celebrities um, up and down the country and uh, on tour with various other things, and um, that was really fun. Got to go to Hong Kong with the show and. <gasps> And do stuff, but I never had. I didn't have that kind of linear sort of young juvenile. Uh, I was the sort of quirky physical theatre face moves too much. <laughs> Not um, the juvenile then. <laughs> yeah, no, I was never going to be that. Um, so, it, but I really enjoyed actually the, the quirky roles. I got stretched me much more as a performer because they were much more about how I felt and how I could act rather than how I looked. So it was that sort of double-edged sword, really, of not getting roles that you you know, you, you might look good for, but also getting roles that are actually quite challenging and that mm. you, can, you can bring an individual spin to, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, character parts, I guess, yeah. Yeah, totally. Actually, young um, character. I mean, I was always just a spear holder at the back of a back of a, of a stage if I did anything. But uh, well, no, anyway. I had a, my first my first ever paid paid. I have not put this on my CV because I, but um, I, I was working in front of house at the old Vic when I was at university, uh-huh. so it was probably about ninety ah, ninety eight, and um, I got uh, David Suchet was playing Salieri and Amadeus at the time, and um, I got paid five pounds a night to go on uh, in a big cloak and a mask um, behind David Suchet and uh, pause and freeze. <laughs> freeze during one of the moments and just like listen to his voice bounce off the dress circle that wow. felt very cool as a starry-eyed drama student to be yes. paid to go on in the peter hall company but i never put it on my spotlight cv <laughs> that's fantastic oh i wish i saw that <laughs> So your sort of day job, as it were, is research fellow. So that sounds very strokey beardy. Um, I mean, are, are you teaching? Are you? Uh, and it's for the Central School of uh, Speech and Drama. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm actually knowledge exchange fellow, which sounds even more puzzling. Oh, right. Um, at Central School of Speech and Drama, yes. So I don't teach modules i do do kind of workshops and one-on-one sessions um mostly about things around public engagement and knowledge exchange um i'm currently seconded to parliament i'm a parliamentary academic fellow working on a project there called ipen which is the international parliament um exchange network so really looking at how parliament um no, that's oh, that's a lie. It's not called that. The International Parliament. Sorry, the International <laughs> Parliament Engagement Network. Okay, I should do that again. Uh, no, it's funny. Funnier getting it wrong, really. Okay. Oh, no, you can okay. leave it. <laughs> I don't mind. Okay. You say it again if you want. I'm in trouble. <laughs> the International Parliament Engagement Network, uh, which okay. is really interesting, and um, looking at how parliaments sort of engage with the public around the world. So yeah, so my, my job at Central is partly sort of being me and doing what I do, um, partly doing this um, IPEN, uh, and also, you know, writing funding applications. I had a, a funding, uh, you know, a couple of uh, applications come through 
um, over the past couple of years to do events. So it's a it's mm. a funny. There isn't really a career path for what I'm doing, right. but um, it does allow me to be me in it, which is great. And I I really enjoy being at Central. It's a really unique space. It's you know it's a conservatoire, but it's also um, you know it has it's a really strong research side. And I went to drama school, and um, I really love being back in an environment that's so closely linked to the industry. It's very different from a university drama department. Yes, of course. So then we segue into your research with suffragettes what particularly drew you to that time and lead you to want to investigate it so forensically yeah it's weird isn't it it's really nerdy (laughs) i think because when i hadn't been acting um uh my out of work jobs um my resting jobs were dressing on west end shows um and working in box office and on stage door in west end theaters so i knew i do know the west end very well and i'd known a number of those venues over the years and i think when i first discovered that there was such a thing as suffrage theatre. I'd never done the suffragettes at school. Um, so I didn't really have an appreciation of that time. I did the Tudors and then I changed schools and did the Tudors again. Um, so that whole, that kind of early 20th century was really new to me. And then I just loved the fact that there was all this activism in the theatre, that there were these plays. Um, and then when I started to do the research, all the streets, the theatres they were talking about in London, um, I knew. And it all felt so close and I could I could picture it there it didn't I mean obviously it's in the past but it, the liveness of of having the play texts you know the liveness of many of the issues they were talking about and then the the liveness of those buildings that I, many of you know which I knew intimately just really brought it to life yes. for me and I think I, I caught it then So let's talk about some of your research work with suffragettes. I'm looking at your book now, Stage Rights, the Actresses Franchise League, Activism and Politics, 1908-258. It's so forensically detailed. Uh, uh, and I would imagine it would be great for schools and colleges as well as just a, a cracking read. Yeah, great. Well, thank you. If you say that again, I'll happily clip that and put that on my website. That'd be, yeah, I'll, I'll be say brilliant. it as many times as you want. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think it's just... Um, Thank you so much for I'm really glad you found it interesting. And yeah, there's a lot of there is a lot of detail in it. But that's I think that's kind of the point you want to bring it to life. And I think Mm. you're sort of battling through what people expect it to be, which is a sort of worthy, if dull (laughs) collection of occasional plays done by well-meaning posh women. Like it wasn't like that at all. It was much more dynamic and much more fluid and and much more challenging to us now as as sort of people within and, you know, within industry, but also audiences. so yeah, I would hope that it would. At least I know it's available. My whole, my whole reason for doing the PhD was really to make a contribution to the field and mm. and make it easier for people who wanted to research, you know, after you know, give them some some leads, some of the yes, leads of that I got. So yeah, hopefully it's a stepping stone towards you know more research. Just to say, this is our second show about the suffragettes. We also interviewed Diane Atkinson, which I don't know if you you hey, know her, yes, yeah, who yes, was lovely cool. and she'd written a big bumper book about uh, like a hundred amazing women. So yeah, I mean, I I, I, I find. Yes, <laughs> I find it so interesting. Um, so, as I said, this is a very detailed book about suffragettes with particular focus on performance artists. So, um, very interesting as one would generally imagine the field of research was just about the generic struggle, but there's lots to talk about here. What's interesting to me, so for example, Diane Axon researches the, the WSPU, the suffragettes, the mm. Women's Social and Political Union, um, and very much focuses on, on them as a militant organisation. 
Um, what's interesting for me and has been really interesting as a researcher and also, you know, since doing my PhD is the fact that the the theatre professionals worked pretty much with everybody, that the actresses Franchise League and, and other organisations like them, like the Women Writers Suffrage League, um, were sort of neutral in regard to tactics. And that meant they worked with the constitutional um, suffrage societies and the militant suffrage societies, which has meant that I've had to research all of those things and really get a sort of a wider feel of the, the sort of machinations and the fluidity of the suffrage campaign in the Edwardian period. And that for me is endlessly interesting because you just see, you see parallels sort of across different societies. And you also see the way that um, at the time and also now, you know, sort of we've artificially divided um, the suffragettes and the suffragists. And I, I loved yeah, I, I really I like the fact that it, it gives me a, a wider kind of um, context about uh, Edwardian culture, Edwardian society, um, some of the silly things, some of the quirky things, as well as some of the very serious things. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's made it really interesting is it is the, sort of the history of one organisation. But because they worked with everybody and because the members of that organisation could be members of many other organisations, it's necessarily meant that I've had to look outside that organisation to find more information and to, to look at the wider influences. And, and that's really interesting. Mm. Uh, what it also struck me was how it how I can relate to their struggles to now uh, in terms of fights we're still continuing in terms of the LGBTQ community around the world, uh, you yep. know, uh, where it's illegal, where you can be stoned to death, whatever. The trans rights debate, which which is continuing, and it's it's a you know uh, very emotive subject on both sides. And uh, yes, it just it just seems to um, uh, highlight how the struggle continues. Yeah, I think so. And I think when we're looking at sort of um, sort of historically underrepresented voices or marginalised voices um, in theatre, we look at our canon and how that's been created and perpetuated. And we, we kind of look for those gaps and look for the other people and we look around our society and we don't see possibly, you know, a lot of the people that we we interact with daily or we see, you know, on, on our stages. And I would say, so yes, definitely kind of out LGBTQI plus people, um, uh, you know, people from many different backgrounds, uh, differently able people. Um, yeah, we, it's really about representation yeah. and about access. Talent doesn't discriminate, people do. No. <laughs> and so um, I kind of think about the the talents and the the stories and the, the years really and opportunities lost by excluding people for for spurious reasons that have nothing to do with their talent or creativity. So the struggle very much continues in that way. And actually, in a way, I found it can be useful to talk about suffrage campaigners in this context because people sort of feel that, well, that's all done now. Um, And in a way, you can somehow, or at least initially, skirt around some of the defensiveness around a lack of representation in different areas of the industry now by focusing on the historical model. And then people then say, gosh, isn't it similar? You know, (laughs) aren't these conversations that we're still having? And and particularly, you know, a lot of the Me Too stuff that came up and and thinking about the sort of women's theatre ideas, things that are still, would still be hugely aspirational and sort of unthinkably brilliant. Mm. um, And Conversations that we're having a long that we were having a long time ago. So actually, there's there's something disheartening in realizing yep. know, that it's <laughs> systemic. Um, but there's also something heartening in that there are no bad guys. This is a system, and it's in plain sight, and it is it's up. To, there are strong shoulders to stand on. It's just about trying to you know show people that those shoulders exist and these debates have been had and we can have confidence in our in our feelings that maybe you know all is not quite right um, with yeah. with things the systems as they are and, and the way that they've excluded people. What facts that you unearthed about the period and the women concerned that sort of came rather left field and genuinely surprised you? I mean, perhaps altering some of your early assumptions about their lives. Um, I love the... I was really intrigued by the sort of immersive, site-specific 
theatre that was going on at the period. Yeah. says, one I quote in the book of the prison cell installations at the yeah. women's exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that I think is really interesting um, and is is really challenging. Um, it's such a great idea as well to, to, to actually really physically good. see a prison. So just to explain to people that they, they, they built these prison cells to, to size, as it were, in, in special exhibitions, but the public would go, men and women, where there were loads of stores to interact with and get quite involved. Some quite innocuous ones, celebrating the art of sewing, etc., so as not to scare off the more moderate visitors. Uh, but they were blended with a number of cutting-edge displays, including to scale prison cells that the suffragettes were forced into second division cells which were far more basic and ignoring the fact that the suffragettes were in fact political prisoners and should have had first division which was uh, a lot more comfortable is that about right (laughs) yeah so that so you've got real ex-prisoners there so even if you're feeling very disgruntled about suffrage it'll be really hard to you know not be moved by some aspect of that story i think there's the um hopping over the pond there's this sort of american lapboard ladies the sort of site-specific sort of protest activism that's going on on the subway in new york um i love the uh the mi- mis- mishmash of genres in suffrage theater i love the fact they don't just do all female shakespeare um i love the fact they make new work and they do stuff and um they they really put their activism onto the stage and also one thing i think that it sort of came to me too late, really, but it's, it's, ha- it's having activist performers perform these plays, um, which really does make a difference in how they come across. Yeah. And when people who sort of understand them politically inherently, if not every argument, but just absolutely get the sense of why they're important, perform them, they just they, they come across so differently. So, yeah, I think the kind of creativity of the movement, the fact that they were experimental, but they weren't naive. And the fact that so many of the of the people, you know, women and men in in the theatre industry, were working sort of in tandem within the suffrage um, campaign, but also within the commercial industry. So they're they're producing work very specifically for different audiences, um, and and that's really interesting to mm. look at. There's a there's a liveness to it that it just kind of comes off the page, and I go, oh, hello, yes. <laughs> and just to explain that a lot of plays were created to uh, sell the cause, as it were, but sometimes they were written quite subtly, so uh, it might be for a general audience. I mean, Bernard Shaw, I think, was particularly good at doing that. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the huge things they've got, obviously, in this period is censorship. Um, uh, the Lord Chamberlain's uh, plays collection that I love looking through at the British Library is just mm. full of of that, the censor's letters. So uh, often, I think when I first started researching this, or I was reading kind of questions about, you know, well, where, where are the blood and gut? We want this sort of voyeuristic violence. Where are the plays about false reading? Where are all these plays? Um, but actually you had to be very careful about what you wrote and uh, there are plays that you know have have slightly more graphic descriptions of suffrage activism in them and they weren't passed by the censor um so anything that mentions militancy i mean you obviously you could put those on you could put them on for a private audience but if you wanted something to be published to be widely read and to be widely performed by the people and widely seen you would necessarily have to be more subtle mm-hmm. in your allusions particularly to militancy um so it really is just a product of its environment it's not that the writers were squeamish it's just that they you know they they there was a there was a gatekeeper and yes. they in order to get their, get their work <laughs> they had to they had to work to those conditions so it's a really a, a broader understanding of the period yeah, yeah. absolutely just to, just 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 to highlight that uh, we had uh, Waris Hussein on the show recently who directed shoulder to shoulder which was oh. uh, which was a massive glossy uh, bbc production in the 70s yes. all about uh, the suffragettes and uh, he was um he was actually uh, handpicked by Verity Lambert cuz they worked on doctor who together oh. and they initially wanted all women to work Work on this, so he was he was considered the honorary honorary woman in the team. <laughs> That's great. I love that series. He did a I was job. very 
very lucky to be given a set of the um, DVDs by a, a, some Australian um, uh, suffrage historians a few years ago. Oh, and absolutely. Right. I, yes, it's one of those ones that people wish that, you know, it would be released all the time. But they beautiful storytelling work I there. And they did repeat them on uh, BBC4 at some point. So who knows, uh-huh. it might, might come up again. I was going to ask you, actually, I, I was imagining you going on Mastermind with uh, with all your, <laughs> your knowledge. You haven't ever done Mastermind, though. I've never done Mastermind, Well, no. you know what? Would you like a warm-up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, go. Because I have prepared a series of questions, some of which we have covered already in this chat. And I know you've just had your top-up COVID jab uh, that you mentioned in the pre-warm-up, but you're recovering from that. But I'm sure you're going to do brilliantly, even though you're slightly woozy. I know. I was thinking, how much can I use my jab as an excuse? Well, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get the time. Let me just be, put my uh, stopwatch on. And uh, oh, are you are you psyched up for this? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. It can only go horribly wrong, as I always say to everybody just before <laughs> it starts. Can I introduce my first contestant, please? And your name? Naomi Paxton. And your occupation? Uh, Knowledge Exchange Fellow at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, University of London. Blimey O'Reilly. Well, you have have two minutes, Naomi, to talk about the Actresses Franchise League, activism and politics from 1908 to 1958, starting now. What was the monthly publication that then was published weekly from the 30th of April 1908? Uh, Votes for Women? Yay! What were the three main objectives of the Actresses Franchise League? Ooh, um, (laughs) education through theatre, plays, uh, oh gosh, publication of suffrage plays, um, and uh, working with everybody. That'll do. Okay, that's brilliant. Um, What two (laughs) authors wrote the feminist play How the Vote Was Won in 1909? Uh, Cicely Hamilton and Christopher St John. Brilliant. Um, The AFL had very specific means of accomplishing their goals. Can you name two? Um, Propaganda plays and um, meetings. uh, Yes, uh, yeah, that'll do. Um, Who was the very first president of the league? Um, uh, Ah, um, I I know this. Uh, It was... um, Ah! I just had a brain fart. You want to say fart? Vaccination break. Vaccination break. Okay. okay. Um, uh, uh, ah! Who was it? Uh, 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 pass. You have to say pass. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, I can't pass. This is really important. <laughs> my, uh, my, my was... clock's ticking. I don't know what to do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't pass it on, on principle. Okay. Um, okay. No, no. All right. Pass. Go on. Pass. Okay. Uh, don't worry about it. Who wrote the play Lady Geraldine's Speech in 1909? Beatrice Harridan. Yay! In the 1909 WSPU Women's Exhibition, what real-world representation did they recreate to give visitors a better idea of suffrage struggle? Um, a first division and second division cell from Holloway Prison. Yes! If I said the words time and tide, what would I be referring to? Um, feminist magazine. Yes, absolutely. On November the 1st, 1913, who spoke at the Albert Hall in support of Dublin workers who had recently gone on strike in order to promote a more humane society? Uh, Charlotte Despard? Uh, no, Sylvia Pankhurst. Who ah, co- sorry. Who composed March... I'll start this, so I'll finish. Who composed March of the Women? Ethel Smythe. Correct. 
and at the end of that round, you scored 12 points uh, with only one wrong answer and one pass. I think it's Madge Kendall, isn't it? Yeah, Dame Madge Kendall. Yeah, yeah I did yeah, know. Yeah, I just yeah, had a brain yeah. fart. No, Sorry. that's fine. That's good. Well, we, you know, don't want you to get every single one. Though. Yeah, you're right. I don't want to be unbearable. Too much. snsonlineshow.com your brand new one-stop shop for all things sns take a tour through our wide and diverse collection of shows and listen in to our exclusive range of in-depth interviews spanning the popular arts featuring actors writers journalists stand-up comedians musicians and more you can also enjoy our shorter bite-sized series covering vibrant new theater television and book releases And with our Arts Lifestyle Remit, you get to explore issue-based topics, including health, mental health, women's rights around the world, and LGBTQ. Contact us with both your comments and suggestions for future guests. And don't forget to read up on our blog, regularly updated with articles and photographs. A forum where everyone is welcome to contribute. snsonlineshow.com, your one-stop shop for all things SNS. Oh, magic circle. You can do magic tricks, uh, combining the cabaret and comedy and the psychic duck. Um, which yep. I'm supposed to sh- not uh, say anything because it's spoilers, darling. Um, spoilers. Not exactly <laughs> easy to get into the magic circle. I mean, that's incredible. Wow. Yeah. No, it's, um. yeah, it's been good fun. I've, I've only, I got in during lockdown, so I've not been to the, I mean, I've been to the clubhouse before, but I've not been to, um, I've not been to it since I've been a member. So mm. I still, I still am waiting to get through the doors and be allowed to go in all the secret oh. places. Yeah, so I mean, tell us about your love of magic. Where did that come from? Um, I first worked with a magician uh, in a late night magic cabaret show in uh, German Street Theatre, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it was sort of a husband and wife double act. Um, but in this one, the assistant was me, the wife, and she did all the talking, and the husband was silent. Right. Um, so we did quite trad stuff. We did disappearing, and we did some. Uh, quite tragic but because it was a late night cabaret there was a you know it had a sort of naughtiness to it and we built a, a world around it so um i got suddenly very used to talking to the audience and being being the misdirection through chatting mm. and introducing tricks and it sort of yeah it introduced me to a whole different whole world thing, uh, really yeah i i mean my, my only two magic tricks is i i i do a, i used to do a card one when i had a card sticking out this is when i was about five years old i'd, I'd spread out the cards take a card but one would be sticking out in the middle and every time somebody tried to take another card i'll just keep moving the cards until they could, they could just take Brilliant. the one and then of course i forget what it was anyway um <laughs> but uh, but there you go wasn't one of the suffragettes um asked by some great conjurer if she would come on stage and and be sawn in half and she turned him down <laughs> She did turn down. That was yes. In the 1920s, he asked Christopher Pankhurst as a publicity stunt, because she she'd made her own publicity stunt by um uh, saying that she was available for work in the papers. So he rather <laughs> he rather cleverly just leapt on that and, and used it to promote his ad. I I don't think she was ever. I mean, she she did a lot of she would do a lot of things for publicity, Christopher. Um, but I I think that might have been a step too far. Oh, I think that is so funny.
Um, do you think your stand-up work was sort of inspired a bit from those trailblazing women of old? I mean, women in comedy is obviously much better than it used to be, but it, it, I'm presuming, did it take a while to carve a name for yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a confidence thing because obviously I've been an actor and that's very different. And also because I'm not doing straight stand-up as myself, so it's not just sort of going on and chatting about me. It's it's creating this other world. But when I was younger, I loved – so I was um, uh, loved to go to the Players Theatre and see the music hall. I loved that. And I also loved going to the Comedy Store Players. I used to do that, try and do that every week. And um, uh, I loved Victoria Wood and I loved um, Carol Burnett and um, I loved Josie Lawrence. I loved Who Signs It Anyway. I used to watch that religiously. And I think I love that sort of – the idea of, of playing with the audience but also having a lot of things in your back pocket. I really – I loved that. I kind of aspired to that knowingness. I aspired to, to yes, to, to having having a load of things um, that one could do, um, but also being live in that moment. And um, so it was sort of beginning to script things and then sort of come off the script and, um, and play with the audience that way. So I suppose my main, the people I really remember watching, I think were, uh, yeah, Carol Burnett, Josie Lawrence, uh, Victoria Wood, um, and then going to see live live improv shows, and of course, if you go every week, you realise that they there are a number of things that they have, um, you know, ready to go. Or there are a number of formula they have mm. ready to go, and I I loved that. I loved the glimpse into that, and I also loved the sheer honesty and um, sort of joy of the players musical and I've always loved pantomime I, I very much believe people when they come on stage and go hello my name is this and I want that and I go great I'm with you let's do it um, I, I love that so I think Ada's a sort of my character is, is a sort of mashup of those things where she's somebody who's very theatrical um, but not stuck in a story she sort of exists in inverted commas um, uh, you know you could have you could have dinner with her and chat to her and she wouldn't have to rely on sort of five lines as she can function as a person um but also there's a liveness to her in the moment so she can respond to the audience but she's not just freestyling you know there is a structure to it um and the, obviously the more experience you gain then the more things you the more quips you have or the more you know more situations you're familiar with although you can always be surprised yeah. so yeah i think she's a mashup really i never wanted her to be a victorian music hall artiste I mean, she's sort of a carnival. I, I sort of see her as a carnival figure from, I've got it written here, from an exotic continental circus from our long distant memories and, and possibly nightmares too. Ah, oh, sounds amazing. Oh, well, there you I'll go. That. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so just to say, I first saw. Uh, uh, Ada Camp um, in the Edinburgh Fringe. It was a 70th anniversary and we got to chat to Ada, which was amazing. So we're hoping that we might get to chat to Ada a little bit later. I know you sort of manage her very carefully and she comes out of the cupboard, you know, once every so often. So if we can no, entice her... she's fine. Her, she's just... She's, yeah, she's in the garden just picking oh. snails off the hollyhocks. So yeah, she'll oh, come in whenever you want. Right, OK. So we'll chat to her in a minute. So Ada evolving. Any telly for Ada? Like a Mrs. Brown's oh. boy-style sitcom sort of spinning <laughs> off into a Hollywood movie? I would love that. I would love that. Ada has now. Ada now sings, which she didn't oh. do before lockdown, um, because uh, her manager was too nervous. But uh, <laughs> now she does, um, which is great fun, and it's just opened up another whole world of cabaret. Um, so yeah, no, I'd love to do telly. I'd love her to do telly. Um, but you just need someone. I think it's because it's quite a lot. Sometimes you just need someone to catch catch the imagination and yeah. uh, and and think. Yeah, we could we could make this work. You can I always think. set I'd, it. I'd love to do it. Always set it in Spain. Just change it. You know, a bit like we did on Are You Being Served. You know, it's a bit warm though. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'd rather set it somewhere chilly if there's anywhere well, chilly left. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, <laughs> I could definitely see that happening. SNS Online presents the soundtrack of your life. 
Okay, my choice, I'm not going to overthink this. I'm just going to go within <laughs> the moment. And my choice is Le Jazz Hot from Victor Victoria. Beautiful. Let's hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, the nightclub is proud to present the one and only Victoria. About 20 years ago, way down in New Orleans, a group of fellas found a new kind of music, and they decided to call it jazz. No other sound has what this music has. Before they knew it, it was whizzing round the world. The world was ready for a blue kind of music. And now they play it from Steamboat Springs to La Paz. Mom! 
the jazz hot from Victor Victoria and sung by the mighty Julie Andrews. You're listening to SNS Online with today's special guest, Dr. Naomi Paxton. Now, earlier we challenged Naomi to a mastermind round. But as we are left with a number of spare questions that otherwise would have gone to waste, we decided to complete her tests and see if she has any post-jab brain farts <coughs> with round two. Uh, name the 1913 play about a fictional prime minister who sends his daughters out under assumed names. 10 Clowning Street. Yeah, and who wrote 10 Clowning Street? Uh, Una Dugdale. No, it's Joan Dugdale, but that'll do. Joan I'll let, Dugdale, I'll let sorry, you off. Sorry. I'll let you off. What was the name of the anti-suffrage play, an absurdist fantasy depicting what life would be like if women and men traded gender roles that began in America in 1868? I can take one of two answers. I, oh, I don't know. The wor- uh, I don't know, Men versus Women, The World as We Know It. Uh, incorrect. Um, topsy-turvy. Uh, uh, no, The Spirit of 76 or The Coming Woman, a prophetic drama. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Name one of the two authors of that play, or perhaps not. No, perhaps not. <laughs> don't worry. Uh, suffrage theatre combined familiar everyday situations with relatable characters on the stage in the style of realist theatre, influenced by the plays of who? Ooh, well, I would take argument with this. I would probably. Are you going to say Ibsen? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Ibsen. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll discuss it later. Which actress? <laughs> which actress unveiled the suffragette plaque outside suffragette headquarters, Clementine, London, on October the tenth, nineteen sixty? Um, Sybil Thorndike. Yes. Name the author of this quote: "The vote will never be won by speeches made by men on behalf of women. Every time you ask a man to appear on your platform, you confess an insufficiency of women to plead their own cause." Christopher Pankhurst? Uh, no, uh, George Bernard Shaw. Um, Shaw's play, Mrs. Warren's Profession, in 1893, focuses on Shaw's belief that the act of prostitution was not caused by moral failure, but by what? Um, economics. Yes! Also with Shaw, in Fanny's first play, Ua, Shaw takes the opportunity to poke fun at the critics, the patriarchy and the middle-class family life, whilst exposing the double standards at the heart of British society and promoting equal opportunities for women. What year was it written? 1911. Yes! My God, that's brilliant. <laughs> what was Emmeline Pankhurst's maiden name? Golden. Yes! Who wrote Stage Rights and is also appearing on SNS Online today? Naomi Paxton. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, so in that round, and bear in mind some of the questions were longer, you scored... A grand total of eight points and no official passes as such, but just to add that the anti-suffrage play The Spirit of 76 or The Coming Woman, a prophetic drama written in 1868, uh, was written by Arianna Randolph Wormley Curtis and Daniel Sargent Curtis. Oh, gosh. So eight points. But if we combine the two rounds of uh, eight and 12 from your previous round, that uh, gives you a grand total of 20 points. Ah. Not too shabby. Yay! <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, <laughs> thank, thank you. you for giving you a brain a workout. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Very well done. 
that's the dream is having a quiz that's very exciting <laughs> we did um i did a we talked in 2018 because we kept having you know suffrage meetings obviously you know yeah. suffragist meetings i said we should have like a bingo card or a loyalty card or yeah. some sort of really obscure quiz at the end of the year <laughs> that only six people could uh, could do and we oh. never did in the end but we totally should have done and that was that just gave me a taste of how thrilling it would have been yes totally scratch and sniff with Nick Randall. So obviously, second lockdown restrictions or third or fourth, whatever, were partially lifted uh, a while out. And I, I, I noticed that straight away on your Twitter, you were up, out, doing them, almost like you escaped from cold. It's... <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, no, I'm I'm so thrilled to be back out gigging, and I think I'm lucky with Ada because Ada works, does family shows, um, you know, with kids, and she does cabaret shows, and she does comedy shows, and variety shows, and magic shows. So I'm just seizing as many opportunities as possible to, to gig and get out there and uh, try new stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, this duck is the most wonderful little beastie I own. I wonder, would you help me? Do you feel connected to the duck? Have you worked with a psychic duck before? Never before. What do you think of her? She's gorgeous. No, I'm talking to the duck. Oh, sorry. <laughs> she has emerged. She has emerged. She has emerged. Mon dieu. She has emerged. She has emerged. They have emerged. We have emerged. Everybody emerged. Tout le monde. So I believe we now have on the line Ada Camp herself, and we are very, very honoured to be speaking to you, Ada. Um, how's it going today? Hello, Nick. Yes, how wonderful. Hello, darling. How are you? I've not seen you for yonks. It's been quite felt- a tidy while, hasn't it? It has been a while. I'm bloody snails all over my hollyhocks. Really? It's just a nightmare. I'm just launching snails over the roof of the shed. I'm sort of in a pre-Olympic trial. Um, but yes, no, I'm well. Thank you. Keeping well, jammed and all that. And, you know, uh, getting back out there and doing gigs. How are you? I'm, I'm absolutely fine. I'm convinced you actually come from a, a far distant time and you just sort of come through a sort of a time eddy into, into our time occasionally to say hello. Because there's just there's this sort of feeling of uh, yesteryear uh, with you. And I mean it in a, in a sort of caring, sharing way. You know, those carnivals of old on the continent and the lost souls that one would encounter, I presume, and the mysteries that's there in their lie. Uh, it just sort of makes me go all goose pimply in. And so your racks bring some of that. Well, to me anyway. Well, that's very kind. I, yes, I'm, I'm, bless you. I'm, you know, my knees feel like I've come from a long distant past. They're ageing poorly. Um, but, you know, one, one crashes on. Can we talk about the elephant in the room? <coughs> or in this case, a, a psychic duck? Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I don't have an elephant. No. I haven't the space. Um, uh, although if Naomi manages to get me on television, perhaps one never knows. So if I think of a number between one and ten, will the psychic duck know what I'm thinking? It may. That's the best I can tell you, darling. <laughs> you, often, I have to say, the psychic duck is most successfully activated on a lighted stage. Ah, uh, but we see. can we can give it a go. We can give it a go. If it's between one and ten, I imagine we'll get there eventually. Okay, well, I'm I'm thinking of a number now. What does it? What does the duck say? Duck. What number have you? Um, 
6.27. My God, that's exactly right. That's extraordinary. Extraordinary. That's extraordinary. Well done, Ducky. That is amazing. Listen, thank you, uh, Ada, so much. Uh, keep doing what you're doing and entertaining the troops. We we love you so much. Bye, Nick. Thank you, darling. You can sort of clear your throat now. <laughs> yes, sir, fine. No, 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 I, no, Naomi, Naomi, where are you? She's gone, dear. Oh, no. Stop with me. <laughs> She's out there putting the snails back on my hollyhocks. Get Naomi back. Get Naomi back. Come on, Zara. For the end. Hello. <laughs> oh, hello. That's brilliant. Um, we're almost at the end of the show now, uh, Naomi, but um, I would like to uh, sell your wares, as it were. Hello. By letting everybody know uh, where we find you. What is your website? And my website is www.naomipaxton.co.uk. That's fabulous. Everybody needs to follow both you um, and Ada. Um, Naomi, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show tonight. It's been fantastic. Ada Camp is extraordinary. All your work is extraordinary. And we love you. Thank you so much. It's a total pleasure. Thank you for having me. And what, what a treat. Thank you for reading the book. That makes me so happy. I can't tell you. Absolute pleasure. And also, you get a celebrity goodie bag when we get your details. So uh, <gasps> that should be very exciting. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Nick. Bye, Nick. Thank you, darling. Take care. Hope to see you in real life soon. Love you both. Thank you, Nick. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 When you play me legit.